Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you ever wondered how to hold a particular piece of stock or failed to have little pieces line up after you painstakingly created the angles? Are you a bit intimidated by work holding that isn't a vice? Well today's book is one of the most exhaustive studies on the subject that I've read. It's written by Robert Waring and the good folk at Lost Art Press have released it as a physical reprint and a PDF version. The subtitle is Jigs and Fixtures to Make Benchwork Easier, and as the title implies, the book is about all kinds of devices that can be used to make life easier in the hand tool workshop. The word jigs might seem like it's used incorrectly here. I'm much more used to the term bench appliance myself, but the editors decided to keep as much of the original English as possible, so there are going to be a few terms that jar when you read them. As I've mentioned before, I'm a South African, so British English is much closer to my mother tongue than US English. But prepare yourself. There's much more than a U in colour or an S instead of Z in specialised. Prepare yourself for cramps versus clamps, rebate versus rabbit, and a few spellings that are just going to make you cringe. And while you're at it, Get ready for a curious mix of anachronistic materials alongside the modern. Appliances covered with off-cutting carpet are probably not what you're expecting as you try and recreate the Dermony workshop in your basement. Some of these ideas left me with quite a funny feeling because of these odd juxtapositions. And yet, I guess if the volcano next door exploded, some future archaeologist would find me in my shop with a wooden moulding plane, a Lion Nielsen block plane, and an 18-volt electric drill. Robert suggested that appliances apply a similar blend of modern materials like carpet, steel, and composite materials, alongside patterns that surely must have been at home in the 18th century shop. As a result, you'll need to drop the purest in you and embrace an astonishing variety of appliances that will speak to almost any woodworker. It's one of those books that's hard to process on a first reading, Frankly, there are just too many new ideas, and I was brimming with project ideas from the start of the book. By the end, I felt almost numb. I'd suggest you read this book with a notepad next to you, jot down any cool ideas that speak to you as you read, and that way, by the end of the book, you won't have forgotten something important. You'll be rereading this book. I found that the solutions in the book that really jumped out at me were ones that resonated with current problems I had and current projects that I was working on. I'll give you an example. Recently, on the Hand Tool School's interesting video thread, I learnt about the straw trick for glue squeezer. It was a video that had been posted in response to a question about how to clean up glue squeeze out. A few months ago, I probably would have ignored the video. Most of what I've been building has been for around the shop, and I'm currently so enamored by the possibilities of shellac that glue squeeze out has been, well, off the radar. However, I then started a small shaker table for the top of the staircase. It's a practice exercise for mortise and tenon joints. I've got this theory that if you really want to get better at a new joint, you need to do a hundred of them in rapid succession. That way, you won't get disheartened and you'll see the progress in a very short period of time between the starting one and the ending one. Because of that, some of the design choices I made for the table have mortise and tenon joints in them in probably strange places, and consequently I'm going to get a lot of squeeze out. Some of them are in hard to reach places, and I didn't 
really have a handle on how it's going to deal with the glue effectively. So I'm curious about glue squeeze out at the moment. As a result, I watched the video. But in the latter half of the book, when I read about Robert's technique for handling squeeze out, it jumped out at me as if it was written in flaming text on the page. In essence, Robert minimizes his glue squeeze out by using blue tape in a way that allows you to peel off the glue post setting. I really like this idea and I'll definitely give it a try when I glue up the shaker table. At the same time, there was something in there about how to make an appliance to make five-sided chair legs. That didn't really register with me, um, but maybe in the future when I get around to chair making or I've got a new and a peculiar problem that faces me, I'm going to go pick up the book and skip through it till I find the appropriate section. One thing I wish the book had was an index um, or a more detailed table of contents. The book's table of contents has four entries in it. Holding devices, tools, marking devices, clamps. It's not a particularly long book at 185 pages, and it feels shorter because virtually every page has an illustration on it. This means that the four divisions will have you skimming through about 40 pages to check whether there's a solution to the problem. Now going through 40 pages when you're looking for something is not a huge amount of skimming, but I really wish there'd been something in bold headings right at the beginning of the book that told you exactly where to jump to. The first section is about holding devices. It's going to be particularly useful when you're setting up your shop. But it doesn't really cover any debates like face vice versus leg vice, dead man or Nicholson style etc. Instead, for large parts of the chapter, the author assumes you have a bog standard face vice and are prepared to make a variety of inset jaws to handle different shape works. It's refreshingly simple and a down-to-earth view on the problems that the internet seems to agonize over. Because of the English, I found a few of the descriptions to be a bit cryptic. But to be honest, some of this is probably a problem with me, not a problem with the book. I found in particular that when you were solving a problem I was not familiar with, it was a bit harder to follow the solution. There are some gems in this section. Do you want to find a solution to stop your treble racking? Are you worried about wood movement in your workbench top? Do you like using a bench hook but find that the wood slips around from you? Or a solution for holding tapered or round work? You'll find solutions to these and other problems in this section. His planing stock solution is an example of the author's unique approach to things. It's really a novel treatment of the problem. I'm not sure that there are too many woodworkers today that are going to be countersinking two strips of metal into each side of their bench to work in tandem with the end vice. It's effective, but it's a bit industrial for my sensibilities. That said, it's a brutally efficient way to solve this problem. A solution of his that I really liked though was a simple right-angled appliance that could clamp into the face vice and provide a planing stop. He suggests making a few different thicknesses and keeping them under the bench. And I think it's a better solution than my planning stop that straddles the bench. I've made a number of compromises in thickness to allow for a range of wood rather than having a removable option that I can replace with the perfect thickness for the job at hand. Ultimately, what I liked about this section is that it shows some fresh solutions. Ones that I'm not familiar with, ones that aren't popular on the internet. I found a few ideas that are going to be adapted or adopted for the workbench that I'm currently building. What? 
I'm building another workbench. I guess that I can adapt my favorite mountain biking joke here. The joke that says there are two types of riders. Those that have fallen recently and those that are going to fall soon. Likewise, I think that there are those woodworkers that have recently built a workbench and those that are starting to feel like they know how to build the perfect one. If you're just starting to accumulate appliances in the workshop, one thing that you'll find useful is the no-nonsense application of clamps and boards to solve a variety of problems. Robert uses two clamps and two boards to put together a practical solution for edge planing very long boards. It's a solution that I think you'd knock together in about 10 minutes. And it will certainly allow you to get on with the project without fussing over complicated hardware solutions. There's a lot of appliances that provide solutions for holding curved elements of your project without marking them. And some simple ideas I've never seen before for cam clamps and boomerang holding devices. There's a judicious use of screws and hardware that allow no-nonsense and fast solutions to work holding. By the time I'd finished this section, there was literally no type of work that I could imagine doing that he hadn't covered. Admittedly, I haven't been using hand tools for that long, and my designs tend towards the simple side, but the breadth of scope is staggering. I counted just under 50 work holding devices, and they cover off all the really common problems. Are you breaking your picture frames when you're installing splines, or are you struggling to get them properly aligned? That's covered. Are you looking for dovetail work holding, or help with installing a full-size door at the right height? or how to hold a chair seat that protrudes beyond the vice. It's all in there. The second section is about marking aids. This section feels a little less radical to me, as there are items such as straight edges, squares, angle transferring jigs, ways to mark corner angles onto mitres, and what I'm used to calling pinch sticks, but what the author calls diagonal laths. There are a bunch of subtleties here, the author modifies a simple square to take a pencil at various intervals to allow for rough marking on stock. I guess with careful construction, this could even take the place of a combination square in some instances. But there are some items here that remain a mystery to me. Good luck on figuring out the setting out for the square and gauge. I hope you understand it better than I do. The author also introduces some subtle ways to make measuring and marking devices multifunctional. Block gauges are set up with four rabbits to provide a simple, quick and consistent manner to mark out common sizes. Likewise, his solution for leveling legs has some clever additions that allow for almost limitless precision. There are a lot of gauges in this section, and a few such as the long mortise gauge and gauge for roundwork that I wasn't familiar with. I'm not sure you need them all, but I think that, well, depending on the nature of the work that you do, there'll be at least one or two that look like they would be a valuable addition to your shop. And like all genius, I guess, once you've seen them, you'll kick yourself at the simple way of solving some common problems. I'm looking forward to trying a solution for matching curves on work and for ensuring that the same angle on chairbacks is consistent across items in a set. Admittedly, I just need a few other skills first. The dovetail section had some pretty novel concepts in it. I'm not very good at dovetails, so I find it hard to comment on the efficacy of the solutions, but I think that more accomplished woodworkers might find that they like some of his solutions. 
Likewise, his veneer cutting system looks efficient. It's easy to grasp how it works, but it's not a type of woodworking I'm familiar with. If you're going to want to make a chessboard, this section's for you. But fortunately, there's simpler stuff in here as well. If you're looking for a simple but efficient way to space your dog holes, or any other setup of holes for that matter, jump forward to page 81 in the book. I think that you'll like the way he goes about it. The tool section of the book was fascinating. I've read a number of debates about putting a plane on its side versus resting on its base. But before I'd read this book, I'd never seen a solution that involved a carpet. It's a good one. I'm going to process this for a bit, but I think I'm going to incorporate this into my bench going forward. At the moment I'm leaning towards using leather rather than carpet, but it's essentially his solution. There's a lot in this section that covers inlay and scratch stock, but also a few really simple jigs that will help you sharpen some tools that are fiddly to hold on their own. There's beam compasses, sliding bevels, a few suggested designs for carver's mallets, um, shooting board suggestions, router plane fence modifications, suggestions for shaped plane handles that are different from the standard tote. You get the idea. It's a really comprehensive book. In particular, I thought he had a great solution for planing thin stock. It's not one that I've ever seen before, and it certainly helps me from mortgaging the house to buy a tool from Bridge City Toolworks. In fact, it's probably worth pointing out that if you only make a few of the items in the book, you've probably recovered the cost of the book. There's some nice dialing aids here, but I think that the thing that stands out for me was how to make a saw file holder. Admittedly, this is probably more suited to rip saws, as it would need some kind of angled marking to make it work for crosscut, but it's something I'm going to put together as a priority, just because it's cool. And in addition to the books, there's a quick guide to hardening steel. In fact, like every book I've reviewed so far, there seems to be something in it about hardening steel. I'd suggest you go back to Ron Hock's book, The Perfect Edge, if you want to do this regularly, but if you didn't get any of the earlier books, there's enough to get you by here. Painting sticks, recutting saws, drilling guides, etc. The list goes on. It's a fun section. You'll find something that you're tempted to make for your shop. The final section of the book is about clamps. From simple hand screws to board clamps and panel clamps. You'll find a range of solutions here. Lever cam clamps and a few more vice inserts are here. There are fixed jaws, adjustable jaws, semi-adjustable jaws, mitre clamps, correctors, jointing clamps, violin clamps. I think there's something from everything from a table maker to an aspirant luthier out there. There's not much more to say about this section. I think that you'll find a number of solutions to common problems that are much cheaper than the commercial solutions out there. And maybe, just maybe, if you can make your own clamps, you can get to the end of that journey that says a woodworker never has enough clamps. This section appealed to me a lot. I've recently tapped my own wooden screws for a twin screw moxon vice, and it was one of the most rewarding things I've done in the workshop for a while. Initially I was prompted by the fact that my son could not activate the quick release vice. His fingers just weren't strong enough. But the old vice is now gathering dust under a counter because the tactile nature of the wooden vice is just fantastic. It's strange how going from a record metal engineered vice to a homemade woodworking vice has felt like progress for me. If you haven't turned your own wooden screws for something, I'd urge you to give it a try.
I'm going to be building some Jorgensen style wooden clamps soon and I'm really looking forward to it. So in conclusion, the solution at hand is 185 pages long and is written by Robert Waring. You can find the book at lostartpress.com and as at January 2020, it costs $24 for the hardbound book and $12 for the PDF. I'd recommend that you buy the hardbound book or the deal for a hardbound book and a PDF. You'll definitely appreciate having the illustrations in a printed form. I'm giving the book an 8 out of 10 in the category Tools. It's a unique book, and I think there are few other direct competitors for your money. The sheer range and scope of the book virtually ensures that you'll get your money's worth, even if you only take a few ideas and implement them. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go build an innovative appliance for your shop, and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest, or one that you're considering buying that you'd like me to review in a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.